Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. Why is this happening to me? And how could a loving God allow such suffering or evil? You've probably noticed, as have I, that those questions don't ever happen in a vacuum. They don't just come out of the blue. They, they come, they're asked, they, they bother our heads and they burden our hearts when we look at things like, well, some things that have happened over the last 12 to 14 months, like the thousands that have died in mudslides like that in Sierra Leone and Colombia and Sri Lanka, the flooding in China and Peru, the hurricanes that hit the Caribbean and, and even our Gulf Coast, the wildfires that ravaged the West and the shootings that happened in Vegas and Parkland, Florida, among many others. And that doesn't even include other major tragedies that have happened in the last century or two that also cross our minds and make us ask those questions. And I don't even have to tell you that of all the tragedies that happen out there, Those don't make us ask the question as much as the tragedies that hit close to home or literally hit close to home. Tragedies and calamities, travesties and catastrophes happen and we all ask questions like, why is this happening? And how could a loving God allow such suffering? Odds are you've probably wrestled with that question in the past. Maybe you are right now. And if you haven't, at the very least, you know people who have. It's a tough one, both of them. Do you know how to answer that question when you ask it or when someone else does? Shouldn't you be able to? And what makes it even worse is that it's at this time when the atheists and agnostics kind of pipe up and presumably using this apparent contradiction, pull back the curtain on what seems to be so illogical about the God that the Bible proclaims, the the God of Christianity. You see the apparent contradiction, right? Because if God claims to be totally loving on the one hand and evil continues, then that means that he's not in control. Or if, on the other hand, he is in control and evil continues, which last time we checked it still does, right? Then that must mean that he's not loving. So either way, he cannot be totally loving and completely in control in one, which is exactly what the Bible says about God, right? So this doesn't work, right? No? If you were paying close attention to what I just said to you, you would have noticed the overuse of adjectives and adverbs like apparent and seeming and seemingly and presumably because there are answers that we can give. There are answers that we really do need for questions like this. See, questions like this point to the tip of the iceberg as though it really unveils the truth and the nature of what God is like when it doesn't. It doesn't get to the heart of what God really is like and how he actually operates. Proper use of adverbs in those sentences. And it is in order that you and I would operate not in fear, but in faith, in the face of suffering. And also so that we would have confidence and not cower in the face of these questions that he has given us this account and recorded it by the Holy Spirit from Job, chapter 1, the account that I just read to you before. And my friends, it is here in the account of Job that we see what God is really 
like. Not on the surface, but what God is really like. I invite you to have that open for you. Job chapter 1. First thing that we learn about Job before our lesson at the beginning of this book, the beginning of the first chapter, is that Job was blameless and upright, that he feared God and shunned evil. He worshipped the Lord regularly. He was concerned about the faith of his children and would offer sacrifices on their behalf and for that of his own. He was a God-fearing and upright man in a godless generation. Even though he was wealthy, he still was faithful and regular in his worship to the Lord. And seemingly, one day out of the blue, the news came. Like one punch after the other, one servant could hardly finish the disastrous news and the other would pipe up. Raiders came and stole his oxen and donkeys and killed his servants. He was the only one left. And lightning fell and burned up the field and the sheep and the servants, and there was only one left. And more raiders came and took the camels and killed the servants, and he was the only one left. And right when it felt like Job just got three huge punches right in the gut, that's when the worst news of all came. That his grown children, all ten of them, were gathered together at the oldest sibling's house, and a tornado came and caused the house to collapse killing them all. What do you think you say at a time like that? C.S. Lewis wrote a book entitled A Grief Observed, and in it, he was objectively looking at the grief that he experienced upon the death of his wife. And he recounted feeling things like this when he wrote, Where is God? And when all other things are lost and have proven to be forsaken... It feels as though the door is shut and bolted and double bolted. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, there have been people who have said to me, Pastor, I feel like Job, and maybe in a couple scenarios I could kindly remind them that their use of hyperbole was maybe a little bit too much. I mean, your hangnail is an issue, but that doesn't put you in the same ballpark as Job. Your broken arm is an issue, but that's like little leagues compared to the pros here with Job. I mean, nobody really, none of you, sorry, have really ever felt this. This is ridiculous, but it doesn't disqualify you from the pain and the suffering that you felt. And when it hits you, when you've just gotten off the phone with the one that you've loved and you've heard the terrible news, what what is it that crosses your mind? What kind of questions do you ask? What kind of things do you think? When you hear that the tumor is not benign but malignant, when you hear the word cancer, you get the disastrous diagnosis when you feel like your family is being torn apart, when your marriage is in shambles, and when something terrible, when something terrible is happening to your children. What do you what do you think? Do you begin to ask questions like the ones we were talking about before? Is that what Job did? No. In fact, he says three different things. And Profoundly enough, as we look at the three different things that he says, we see what God is really like, his bigger plan, his greater purpose, and there and through that, we are able to find higher praise. What is the first thing that he says? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Notice what Job doesn't say. First thing out of his mouth while you and I, if we didn't know the backstory, if we were said, what do you think Job is going to say, say next? It wouldn't have been that. What would, what would we have maybe thought? He's going to say something like, why would you let this happening, happen to me? How could a loving God, after all the sacrifices that I've made to you and all the ways that I follow you, how could, how could you allow this suffering to come into my life? But he doesn't say that. 
In fact, he knows and believes that God is both loving and in control based on that phrase alone. He knows that he brought nothing into this world. He can take nothing out of it. We say that there's never a U-Haul that follows a hearse. Well, that also is true of eternity. Before we stand before God, he knows, he knows that we can take nothing out of this world. So, naked he is, and everything that he has is from God. He would prove that in what he says next, too, Right? And Job and you and I know that the real question is not whether or not God is loving or is in control. The real question is, since God is both loving, he is love. Since he is in control, total control, are you okay with the fact that he operates in a way that far surpasses your and my feeble and limited understanding? That's the operative question. The question is not whether or not a loving God could allow such a thing. In fact, do you know where that question leads you? It leads to some irony, but first, it can lead to a very dangerous place. Do you know what it means to ask that question if you pick it apart? How could a loving God allow such evil? It presumes that a person knows what is good and what is evil. But on what basis? Where does it come from that we have an idea of what is based on something above us is right or wrong for all people. Where does that come from? It comes from God. The, the, the highest moral ground to which we can point and say there is a higher, the highest good and wrong to which we can point and say this is true not just for me and my, my own subjective opinion, but objectively for all people. In fact, do you know what happens when people don't believe that? I can prove it to you that this is dangerous. Just a very brief history survey of, of 101 level history shows that where people do not look at God as the highest moral ground, in fact, God is dismissed altogether, that there is no higher moral good or wrong. You know what happened under Nazi Germany and communist China and Russia? Where this idea that the image of God is imbued upon people and everyone is worth something, in fact, equal, it means that whatever you think to be right or wrong is just your opinion, and those in control can do whatever they want. And we kind of saw millions die under that ideal, didn't we? So you see how dangerous this is, that a person would actually ask this question. How could a loving God allow such evil? That is a highway to a disastrous ideology where there is no God at all who is, has anything to say or any control in what is good and what is wrong. In fact, probably a better question would be, why is there so much good in the world? That is probably a better question to ask. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart because he knows that it's not a matter of whether God is loving or in control. He is both. It just matters as whether or not we're okay with it. We have absolutely nothing to offer on our own because if we question God finally in the end, where does that leave us? If we ask the question, how could God allow it? We are simply left naked in every sense of the term. No solution for the pain in our lives in this world. No cure for the cancer that is woven its way throughout all society and every culture. And no answer to what happens next when we depart this life naked of all that we have and all that we are. So we need someone, something to make us part of his bigger plan. And that is exactly what, to what Job is pointing. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. He knows that he needs God to make him part of his bigger plan and he is part of that. That's the first thing. 
part of a bigger plan, part of also a greater purpose. What is the next thing he says? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. For the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. That's something, isn't that? Notice what Job doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know, I didn't deserve this. And say, you know, I, I really don't, I really feel like I, this sh- shouldn't happen to me. This is, this is really unfair, Lord. I mean, consider where that comes from, that, that notion that we feel like God is treating us unfairly. Job, Job doesn't necessarily consider that. Look at, look at what he says. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He doesn't say, I think that God might be getting even with me. I think that I may have done wrong. His friends would suggest that later. He doesn't think that because God doesn't operate on karma. God's not just waiting in the wings until you mess up again and then he's going to throw something in your life that is harmful to remind you of how you messed up before. God's not going to get back at you and send you cancer because of how you acted as a kid. God's not going to make your kids or your teens rotten predominantly because that's what you were like to your parents when you were a kid or a teen. God doesn't operate that way. No, he instead it has this greater purpose for us so that for all the things that we don't understand and for all the ways that God operates that we could never comprehend, the one thing we can't say is this. In fact, two things. God is not getting back at you when you feel suffering. God is not revisiting punishment upon you because of what you did. He's not out to get you. And the second thing is, for all the reasons that he has for allowing suffering to come into your life, the one greater purpose is just this that he would draw you closer. He's not out to get Job. He is, in fact, drawing Job closer to himself. He does not hate Job. In fact, he loves him so much that he would allow this test to come into Job's life so that Job would see this world, as you and I do, for what it is and would want an eternal relationship with his Father in heaven. And in that way, the greater purpose is to draw him closer. We even understand this in life, right? When you consider two different levels of understanding and maturity, take, for example, kids and teens. They look at their parents saying no to certain things and it just does not register. Certainly that's not true for any of the kids and teens here, but like maybe just generally out there, right? You look at your, they look at their parents and it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense at all. And then what happens? Those kids and those teens grow up and then they have kids and teens and then they look at their parents and they think what? I'm so sorry. You didn't grow up on Mars like I thought you did. And not only that, but through the entire process, they actually grow closer to their parents because they have a greater respect for them. In a much greater way, God operates much the same. He allows things to happen. He says yes and no in ways that we can never understand. It's like explaining astrophysics to a two-year-old, which is it's just above their understanding. So too, God operates in this way, not to drive us away, but simply to draw us closer. That's part of his greater purpose. Bigger plan, a greater purpose, and that leads to higher praise. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's got to be the hardest thing he says, isn't it? To praise the Lord when... Your life has literally been turned upside down. When you just got jacked in the stomach three times and then you found out all ten of your kids are dead. Just like that. Notice Job doesn't whine and think this is unfair. 
come to think of it, who says that this is unfair? Who says that we deserve something greater or something different than the suffering that we experience in this life? Says who? But God does not mercilessly mess with us. Instead, he proves that we are part of his bigger plan and his, he has greater purposes for us. And only through that can we actually be led to higher praise. The, the word that he actually uses there is blessed. May the name of the Lord be blessed. The name of the Lord. He's not focusing on his blessings that come and go. And says, instead, the name of the Lord, the one who gives me every good and perfect promise, not just now, but for eternity, may that name be blessed, be praised. And when you think of those three things that Job says, does that sound a lot like what you and I say whenever we experience suffering in this world? When I get off the phone with a family member who's just had a raw deal dealt to them, when I look at some of you with fear in your eyes over what the present or the future might hold, when I've been on my way to the hospital because I just got off the phone with one of you, either concerning your health or that of a loved one. When your spouse was taken from you, when your children are hurting, it's the first thought that crosses my mind always, God's greater purpose and plan, and here comes my higher praise, Lord, get ready. Or too often, more often than I'd like to admit, do I think, uh, you know, Lord, this isn't exactly what I thought would be best for them. This isn't be what, what, what would be best for a living Savior, you know, your, your church. This isn't, why would you let this happen to them? Don't you know that they were just facing this other thing like last year? It's kind of quick. Like they're not even over this other thing yet. And you're going to allow this to happen? Those questions that sound like they belong to an unbeliever. Why? How could you? So often are very, very, very much echoing in the hearts and minds hearts and minds that are my own, the hearts and minds that are yours. And where do those things come from? It doesn't come from faith that trusts in God's greater plan or his, his bigger purpose for you. It, it, it comes from a heart of doubt and skepticism that questions God and demands an answer. And maybe that's what makes the last sentence of our lesson so hard. What does the very last sentence say? In all this, what? Job didn't sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. Really? If only it would have stayed that way. Because like many Christians, including us today, we get influenced by society and the world around us and even our circle of friends, as did Job, and his tune changed. What happened? He was surrounded by friends who said, no, God is getting back at you. God doesn't do bad things except to bad people. Job, you must have messed up in some way. And they had a whole lot of other very unspiritual, ungodly things to say to Job. And before you know it, Job was not just asking God for an answer, he was demanding it. And then all of a sudden, in the distant horizon came these dark clouds that were rumbling, causing thunder to echo through the valley as lightning lit up the edges. And Job was getting what he was asking for, and God gave him an answer, but not just for him, but for you and me. And do you know what God said? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? You remember when we were together, like, creating the world, and you were there with me? You remember? Oh, oh that's, yeah, you weren't there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you weren't there. But what about when, when I shut the doors on the ocean, and I said, you can go this far and no longer? Do, were you there for that part? What about when I caused the constellations of stars to appear? You remember putting those in their places? You remember that? 
What about even just on the micro level, when, when the, the doe is about to give birth to the fawn and I have been counting down the days because I know. And in the quietness of that holler, she gives birth and I'm the only one there besides her and that fawn. You, were, are you there for those types of things? Oh, I know, I know, because you're not God. And it's really easy to read that when he's talking to Job, unless I am honest and realize that he's not just talking to Job, he's talking to me. And he's talking to you. And yet for all of our questions and for all of our doubts and skepticism, God unveils this truth so that we would know what he is really like, not just on the surface, but so far beneath. Do you want to know what God is really like? He is not a God who is out to get you. He is not a God who allows suffering to come into your life because he is upset with you. He is not a God who is angry with you, and you want to know the way that you and I can know that without a shadow of a doubt. It's to look at the greatest tragedy that ever happened in all of history. There was a man who was the son of God in the person of Jesus Christ who was perfect and never did anything wrong. And he carried his cross to the top of this mountain called Golgotha and there he was nailed to that cross and he was crowned with thorns and this is after his back was ripped open. Throughout all the ridicule and the scorn, all of that happened and that was not even the worst thing. You want to know what was the worst thing? It was that he was bearing our sins in his body, the sin and the shame and the scorn of us all. And at that moment, he looked to his Father in heaven and he called him my God. And you know what God did? He was not a father to him in that moment. He turned his back on his son. Because the Lord had laid on him, as we said at the beginning of the service, the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of your doubts and all of my questions, every time we've demanded answers and all of our skepticism, all of that put upon Jesus and God punished him. Why? So that he would never, ever expect or demand that from you. You want to know why God is not out to get you? Because it's finished on the cross and he already exacted that punishment in Christ. You want to know why God is never throwing lightning bolts in your life in the form of cancer and children who are hurting and pain and the loss of loved ones? That's not his causing pain because he's out to get you. That is his reminding you that this world is broken in sin and through that, through that pain, through that suffering, he only has one purpose in mind and that is not to drive you away. It is only to draw you closer until the day when you experience an eternal existence where none of that even exists. It's not even a part of the vocabulary. It's not even a distant thought or memory. That is the only purpose that God has for you. You see that in our gospel lesson, right? When you completely lose yourself, you find everything, not just in this life, but in all of eternity. Why? Because that is exactly what Christ gave you when he lost it all for you. So carry your cross, dear Christian, and know that it's worth it regardless of the pain or punishment. You can even see that in the life of Job. Do you know what happened in the end? God gave him back double. Gave him back double his herds and double his wealth, and he gave him 10 more kids. And someone might say, well, you didn't give him double kids. That would be 20. Simple math, right? 
except God had. Because his kids didn't cease to exist. They were waiting for him in heaven. Kind of a clear picture of God's bigger plan, his greater purpose for you, and trusting in that and in that alone will lead you to higher praise, to praise the Lord and bless his name regardless of your circumstances, to hold to every single one of his eternal promises no matter how dark and glim it might be here and now, to know that God has eternity in store for you and through the suffering you experience now, or if not now, sometime in the future, that God is only drawing you closer to him and then throughout it all, my friends, God would fill you with faith to simply say, May the name of the Lord be praised. May God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us and may God bless your day.